ain't played nobody. I need you to know two things off the off the bat. One, uh, new podcast ain't played nobody. Co headquarters, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm back in my home. We're gonna keep the personal news fast, quick, and dirty. I have a door that shuts. I have a microphone that works. So maybe a lot of you will stop complaining about how much you spend on this free content. Okay. Number two, I have news. The Purdue neighbor has obtained a Purdue license tag in the state of Tennessee. Ah, uh, yes. I've only seen two of those in the wild. That was number two. Also, I guess, shout out to the state of Tennessee for finding a revenue stream for Purdue Athletics. I mean, so they, they make literally like dozens of dollars off of that in a given year. That's real fast. By the way, uh, a couple things. House cleaning, because I've been forgetting to do the show intro. Uh, if this is your first episode, I'm, I apologize profusely. Not that much. Uh, this is podcast name Played Nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. That's the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus. I'm not reading off my thing this week, so I'm going to kind of vamp. Uh, my name's Stephen Godfrey, and uh, I don't do much right now. So it's kind of nice. Um, we're going to have another really loose show, because I don't think either one of us really wants to put any structure into this. It's the end of the year. I'm still decompressing. I've been home for four days. I'm still tired. Yeah, you were gone for just a little bit. Brag. I'm diamond status now. All those Hampton Inns have paid off. I don't know. I don't know what the the face of my two year old child looks like, but I can now bump anyone out of a Hampton reservation nationwide. What do you like about that, huh? Get that four nights, fifth night free. I, I need to. I need to hear more about your experiences with air, uh, airport coffee, though. Before um, this is officially a sports media travel segment. So Dan Rubenstein often makes fun of us, or, or has made fun of me before about. I, he thinks I have what's perceived as a preference for Starbucks because Dan, the Brooklynite, uh, you know, Manhattan by day, Brooklynite by residence, uh, um, snob of of food and drink. You know, of course, there's better coffee options when you're in Midtown Manhattan or if you're in one of the five boroughs. But if you're in Bowling Green, Kentucky, or Tuscaloosa, Starbucks is probably as good as it's going to get. So, therefore, I default to that. So, if I see a coffee bean or if I see a, a, a Pete's or any of that, I usually just, I, I usually opt out. I'll go Dunkin' if I'm in the Northeast just because I feel like I'm, you know, I'm holding up the stereotype. Bill, we got to get the hell out of here because this is, uh, this is dangerously not football content. We asked uh, live for questions. They're, they're pouring in, so we're going to do that. We're going to talk about the FCS. You uh, sold yeah. me a bill of goods and, and our listenership. So, why don't we start there? It wasn't that great of a first uh, bowl day. Well, blame Houston for that. Uh, they folded. Every, otherwise, it was fine. I mean, the Celebration Bowl was weird and tense and almost super high scoring, but low scoring instead. La, uh, Lafayette Southern Miss was fun. Appalachian State Toledo was more fun than I expected. Uh, both FCS games were incredible. So, yeah, I, I sold you no such bill of goods. Only your boys at Houston ruined the day. That's what I'm going to say. That sounds like you're passing the buck. I, I, I stand by what I said, although uh, I expected that kind of close finish in Grand Lane Central. I expected it to be like 40 to 39, not 10 to 9. That was a little weird. But um, otherwise, the only I thing I can really take from that opening weekend of bullish is, is a non-bull game. And that was the, uh, it, do you, I think we've talked about this before, but don't you always feel more validated and more credible when you witness an amazing thing in real time? Right. So in other words, if you hear about a crazy finish, like I didn't see Central Michigan and Oklahoma State in real time. Right. Had I been watching that game, 
excuse me, and saw it in real time, I would feel like that would make me like I was there, like it's a more authoritative experience. I was watching uh, Eastern Washington and Youngstown when the back shoulder touchdown grab happened, and therefore I feel like I have more credibility with that. I wonder <laughs> well, if that's I think it's my own weird feeling. The difference, I think, is in adrenaline. Like, if I think, like, I watched the that Central Michigan Oklahoma State game. I, I, I had not watched a single play of the second half because every time I saw a score update, Oklahoma State looked like they were comfortable. Right. And then I saw on Twitter, like, oh, God, one more play, one more play. So I flipped over just in time to watch it. Uh, but I think the difference for me is just like when you're talking about something you saw. Uh, on Twitter or something after the fact, like, you know, the weekly, holy crap, look at what Leo Messi just did with the ball. It's cool. It's it's cool. I don't think it, you know, once you've seen it, it, it it's just as legitimate. But like when I think back to, uh, well, we've got the Bahamas Bowl coming up a couple of years ago, the Central Michigan Western Kentucky game, the other Central Michigan Hail Mary, um, w- witnessing that live was uh like you know try not to yell in your living room kind of stuff like that it just kind of heightens the memory of the experience because it wasn't just hey look at this cool play it was hey i watched this cool play i I don't know if legitimacy is the right word because it's all awesome no matter what um but no i and and i guess maybe the other part of this is when that that's where twitter's at its best is as something amazing is happening. And so when you're a part of that, you feel like you, you were a part of it and you were a part of a, t- a group that watched it together. And that's, uh, that's always a lot more fun, I think. I, by the way, I also thought that touchdown was, I don't know if it was the way it was shot. I don't know, like, because they, they bring different numbers of camera crews to different games. Um, we've talked about how the, like, uh, I forgot already. Oh, the Clemson Louisville game had such an awesome, like, production value. That Saturday night ESPN game. Right. is actually on ABC. Yeah. Um, I think when they're doing, like, the FCS playoffs, they're bringing kind of the skeleton crew. I, don't, I think maybe it was the shot when it happened live. I was like, oh, that's just some sort of weird incompletion. Or actually right. the defender wrapped around and, and intercepted the ball. Um, yeah, no, I couldn't tell a damn thing what was happening. Just he, he tried to stick it in there, and then the ball never bounced away, and then the ref's arm said touchdown. It was very strange. Like, how in the world? Where, where was that ball? You couldn't really see it, and then you see the replay and go, holy crap. Do you want to do live questions? Do you want to keep talking? Let's talk about the FCS for a second in this. Um, Eastern Washington, out. North Dakota State, out. Those are your last national champions. So five in a row for the Bison, and then I think the title before that was Eastern Washington. Um, So somebody new is going to win the title, um, and one of those two new teams is going to be James Madison, which I didn't realize actually grew up really close to their campus in Northern Virginia, and um, our friends at Youngstown State. Go Penguins. Um, yeah, this is a because um, I will say this: the sentimental pick is is Youngstown because of the Bo Pelini stuff. But man, JMU is really fun to watch. Yeah, so I've been watching this, the Sagan ratings are. I, I mean, they're weird. I don't know all of the de- details that go into them, but I always uh, pay attention to them because he's basically the only one that really does a solid job of tracking FCS and FBS teams together. Um, JMU has put together an absurd stretch of performances here. So they in in the play so at the end of the regular season they they won at Richmond who was number 6 in FCS and then they beat Villa, they won at Villanova 20 to 7. Villanova was number 9 at the time. They enter the playoffs, their first playoff game uh, number 22 New Hampshire 55 to 22. Number 5 Sam Houston 65 to 7. And then they go to Fargo and they beat North Dakota State first team to beat North Dakota State in a playoff game in half in half a decade. So like they are suddenly up to 41st in the Sagarin ratings at 13 and one. Their only loss 
was uh, to North Carolina. And, I mean, it was a respectable, uh, like, 56-28 to 28 loss, which I can't remember. Yeah, they were leading 21-14 after the first quarter. Um, this is a really good team. And so it's funny now to I, – I always enjoy – I mean, because my promotion of relegation brain uh, always enjoys this stuff. Right now, the, the top teams in FCS – uh, North Dakota State has actually fallen a little bit. Where? Wait, where did they go? Yeah, there they are. Okay, so James Madison is 41st overall. That's right between Memphis and Northwestern. North Dakota State is 44th between Houston and Appalachian State. Appalachian State, recently FCS. Eastern Washington is 50th between Mississippi State and Colorado State. And Youngstown State is 60th right between Ole Miss and Kentucky, <laughs> which is fine. with all that. Yeah. And then uh, further down, you've got South Dakota State at 80th, right ahead of Arizona State and Old Dominion. Um, Wofford at 83, right ahead of South Carolina and Missouri. Jacksonville State at 88, right ahead of Arizona and Ohio. Why the hell do we put these just arbitra- semi-arbitrary, you're in this... So, well, I realize they decide part of it, but the, every time I see stuff like this, this is maybe the most FCS teams I've ever seen in the top 60 of these rankings. Um, and with as much crap uh, that we saw at the power conference level, not even at the just the FBS level, but the power conference level this year, um, where as, I, as that post that I wrote yesterday uh, at SBN about um, how you know really the the ACC, uh, SEC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 are on average separated by about a point point and a half right now in the rankings uh, in terms of average S and P plus, like what. Why? I know why. We, I don't know. There should absolutely be rewards for being this good. Uh, James Madison at 41st it could uh, will possibly win the national title. That's a reward in and of itself. But they're ahead of Northwestern, NC State, Arkansas, TCU, Mississippi State, Georgia, uh, Cal, Vanderbilt, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is barely ahead of Youngstown State. Like why? Why does Notre Dame get to be Notre Dame while Youngstown State is Youngstown State? Why isn't this more merit based? I know why. I, I, I obviously know why, but I don't I want you're it to a be. Socialist. I, I don't I know, I know. I want actually I, I want socialism in college sports. I want uh, actual merit to matter. Uh, and I want James Madison to have more of an opportunity. It, I, I mean, again, they are they could have moved up to FBS, maybe they will. North Dakota State could have moved up four years ago to FBS and maybe they will one day. Uh, but it shouldn't be like it just, we we it's so much of of our understanding of like subdivisions and whatnot and power conference versus non-power. So much of it is based on what what group of of schools you aligned yourself with uh, in 1933. Okay, and, I got a proposal for you. Okay, this would solve your problem, but it would take a lot of time because the I'm problem is that. the problem is purely perception based, right? Stigma and then also. Uh, kind of revenue and that, you know, the di- the real difference between Notre Dame and everybody else is Notre Dame makes a ton of money, right? Well, right. Tune in to see that, right? <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a bad example. More like, more like why does, uh, what's a better example? Like, why does NC State get to be NC State if James Madison's better? Okay, I was thinking about this. Okay. What if uh, you're ESPN and Youngstown State, fun to watch. Sam Houston State, JMU, Eastern Washington, North Dakota State. Um, I'm leaving a couple out. Like, there's probably now at Jacksonville State. There's probably 10 to 15 FCS schools that everybody kind of knows about, right? Mm-hmm. They've probably beaten your football, your, your Power 5 team. 
what if we, instead of dragging the Mac through hell and back on Wednesday nights, <laughs> we put FCS games on Wednesday nights? FCX, FCX, Gen, FC Action. Fan, wins, fan, football, champ, win. We'll workshop it. We'll workshop it, okay? Why don't we do that? Because I mean, the gap, the gulch, so the, so the gulch is growing, and I'm not, I'm not going to get back on this particular soapbox. So the gulch is growing between Power 5 and G5, right? But the quality and isn't. Quality is not, but the economic hindrance is. And I don't think you're helping with fan bases or ticket revenue or anything else with what the G5 has to go through, specifically the Mac, on putting these like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night games in the Rust. Right. All right. Why not put these really fun to watch FCS games, which is essentially, if you schedule it right, the same. By the way, new studio, same dog. Um, why not put, why not put an Eastern Washington Sam Houston State game on Wednesday night? Yeah, and uh, and I mean maybe this is a, a case of like. I don't know. Like we we've talked before about the AAC trying to basically pull in like all of the other good programs from all the other mid majors. Maybe it's the same type of deal where if there was actually ambition in this regard, you know, there is there does form some sort of uh, a rough coalition of like twelve eight to twelve power FCS teams. Um, to, you know, a, a quote unquote super conference where you do have some combination of, and I mean, Youngstown, I mean, the thing about Youngstown is they did slump for quite a while before Polini got there. So if we made a quote unquote power conference based on whatever, they might not be a part of it, but they would be this year. Um, but if you had a James Madison and a North Dakota state and an Eastern Washington, South Dakota state, Jacksonville state, Sam Houston, uh, who else? Central Arkansas, Chattanooga, Northern Iowa, the teams that are, con- are consistently strong. Um, where they had a coalition of uh, uh, some sort of a scheduling arrangement where, yeah, one of them, Villanova, one of them is playing uh, the, another one every whatever. They try, they're they're doing a really, they're actually doing a really good job at about the top 10, top 15 level. There's a story I think I brought up on, on this show before. It's the theme of the day. Just my bad memory. Um, about North Dakota State being very choosy about its, about its non-conference. Yeah, they've scheduled, FCS they've scheduled crazy, yeah. yeah, I think there's. I mean, I remember when, like, I you know, when Georgia Southern was down there and App was down there, they would do the same thing. They would be very picky about trying to find, you know, just think about it the same way that Kentucky and Villanova and North Carolina build their non-conference schedules. Actually, actually, as a better example, Kentucky because the SEC is so weak in basketball, and then like for years, Memphis, when Memphis was in the CUSA. Had a horrible RPI in conference play, but was still, you know, a perennial one, two, three, four seed in the tournament because they would just very, very aggressively schedule out non-conference. Now, granted, in basketball, you get, you know, 12 games or whatever, so a little different, but how many? 14, 15. Oh, wow. Well, it depends on how many conference games you play, obviously, but you'll play 30, so if you're playing... News to me. Yeah. Um... I think this is more possible than people think, and I think that there's the chance exists for. I always want to take this away from ESPN and give it to another network, um, and not because we're technically like owned by Comcast slash NBC or anything, but just because. Just give it a home and a place where it can it can foster its own growth and its own identity. The problem with yeah. ESPN's inventory is that it's so deep in college athletics is that it just would get lost in the in the mix unless right. you said it's FCS Wednesday night. Right. And 
on Wednesday nights, and, and I'm talking about Friday like, from Labor Day out. on. Like, even Friday night. We haven't had very many good Friday night games. Oh, we're going to have to pry Friday night out of Mike Oresko's cold, dead yeah, well, they need, they need to start putting on better games. Dude, Big Ten just announced they wanted to go to Friday night. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. Friday night should be setting up your tailgate or going to a high school game. I'm I'm more opposed to Friday night than I am to Wednesday night. I don't know what that says. Also, I guess I have absolutely no idea how to reconcile scheduling for FCS if one week you're playing Wednesday and the next week right. you're playing Saturday. Right. That gets that gets weird, especially if you were talking about you having two or three of those games. That that might not actually be feasible. You might have to. It might be a cap of one. <laughs> where you have. Where so maybe it is a but maybe it is a showcase game. And what I'm talking about specifically is not taking. Um, not taking the Jacksonville State, um, you know, Mi- uh, Mississippi State game or whatever and moving. I'm saying two FCS powers playing, right? Yeah. Or, or and really what would help, I think, foster brand identification is the, is the natural existing rivalries. Right. So, you know, the two best teams in, in the Missouri Valley, the two best teams in Big Sky or what have you. The, the, there is a SWAC showcase that is on... I want to say it's Thursday nights on ESPN. I think it's Thursday nights they'll do uh, SWAC and MEAC, I believe. Um, they'll do like ESPNU on Thursday nights, which half the time this season or the last couple of years, it's been a more entertaining game than whatever was on F- uh, ESPN. But um, all right, so basically, I haven't since thought this through. This is just a hip shot kind of thing. But I, I remarked to myself as I do talking to myself while watching football alone. Uh, that it would have been fun to watch more Youngstown or Eastern Washington this year and maybe less really inconsequential Sunbelt or MAC games right. midweek. Right. I mean, so, like, I mean, looking at um, the conference standings for FCS this year, since we're thinking out loud here, basically, like, yeah, you could set up something where, like, the top two teams uh, from last year's uh, standings, or, or e- either that or rivalries, either one, but you could set that up to where, you know, whatever date their schedule gets moved to a Wednesday. So where you've got, like, um, Eastern Washington versus North Dakota or Eastern Washington versus Weber State one week. You've got James Madison versus Villanova or New Hampshire or Richmond one time. Uh, well, and then honestly, with that with that conference, you could also have the other two teams then play another time. But, um, it, you know, obviously NC Central, NCA, and T, if you're talking about the HBCUs, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, uh, Jacksonville State versus UT Martin, um, Lehigh Lehi versus either Lafayette, of course, but Lehigh or versus like Fordham, like it, it would be neat. It would be an exposure, and and you do wonder. I mean, in terms of ratings, how well do, what does a uh, uh, Appalachian State Louisiana Lafayette game do versus how well this would do? I think. I mean, I'm not trying to take money out of the pockets of the lower G fives where we where we make our money. Well, right? Yeah, I know that's where. Right. I don't think that you're – I think when you're tasked with competing with the SEC and the Big Ten and everything else, then I think you need Saturdays in a lot of ways, certainly to build a fan base. I think it's yeah. really hurting the Mac. This is this is where I, I kind of lazily walk back into that feature I pitch every year at the Summit and never write. <laughs> never write it, Bill. I don't know what I was doing this year. I'll wait yeah, I'll yeah nothing whatsoever. Um but no, I just I, I appreciate merit, and uh, that will always be a sticking point with me. But for this sport, I have chosen to base my career around uh, the least merit-based sport uh, you can possibly have. But um, yeah, no, it's just it's it's really it always starts to frustrate me when you see really good teams that maybe didn't have a team seventy years ago, or didn't uh, you know really try to get their act together until twenty years ago. 
like all you know, these programs that might be able to do really impressive things, uh, but just either don't get the opportunity or don't think they have the money to or whatever else while, you know, I hate to use this example always, but while Wake Forest cashes uh, ACC checks. Oh, big so, time. Anyway. Just, we went for the salt. I'm trying to keep it light. We don't have to talk about, we're going to talk about all this bad stuff eventually. We have all off season. I just want to keep it light. We're also doing another show this week. That's right. Um, we got a lot of questions. Um, let's just do them as fast as we can because they're on Twitter and not necessarily as, as um, verbose as some of y'all's emails. Um, I'm just going to go with the first one that came up. Uh, Rick Johnson, Will Muschamp went 6-6 six and six in his first year at South Carolina. Is that more of a floor or a ceiling for him? I fear ceiling. I don't think it's a ceiling at all. They're recruiting very well. Um, they are. They have a really good coaching staff, and I think Kurt Roper is going to provide the offense that South Carolina, or that well, I should say Muschamp would have had had he started with him in the first place at Florida instead of Charlie Weiss. We have to, we've answered that one before. I, I don't think six and six is a ceiling, but I don't think it's just a whole hell of a lot higher than that. They, well, they are recruiting. I mean, they they've got two, well, yeah. Uh, two things though. One, I think there's um, you can vacillate between six and six, eight and four, and four and eight pretty easily. Right. Um, I think I think eight wins is, is definitely possible, and also yeah, I mean six is never a ceiling for a team that recruits even at a top forty level. So yeah, I mean it's it's obviously they could do better than that, but I'm not I'm not buying in very much here. I'm not buying in on Roper's offense yet. Uh, there, there's a lot that still has to be proven to me here. The reason I like it is just the complete lack of substance in the in the or not substance permanence in that division. Yeah, trained to, to be trained to look at the East with a West eye. Um, I just to me, I can't I, I can't see why anybody should be ruled out at this point. You tell me that Manny no, goes nine and three and wins the division next year. I'm not even gonna laugh. Uh, well, I'll, I'll you know I might push back on that Shut one. Shut up, Bill. Um, no, but I mean, I, and, and here too, I don't think in terms of records necessarily, I think more in terms of, you know, can you produce a top 15 level, top 30 level or whatever? Uh, he can do top 30. I don't know if he can do top 15. Top 30 might be good enough to win the East once or twice. Uh, Missouri did it once with like, the, you know, what, in 20, 2013, they were, Missouri was legitimately strong, but 2014, I think in S&P, they ranked like 20th, 21st, something in that neighborhood um, and won the East. So, I mean, clearly that can be done. Florida's 42nd after the last couple of games. So, clearly you don't even have to be top 30 to win the East sometimes. But um, So, that should be a legitimate goal. But I still, I just, uh, I, I, there's just so much that, that, uh, about Muschamp uh, that I don't trust at this point that he has to show me. I think they absolutely improved off or defensively this year. And they had like a stretch when Bentley was brand new. Um, and opponents hadn't really kind of figured him out and adjusted yet. They had a stretch of uh, at least a couple games where they they were solid offensively. I mean, 24 points against Tennessee, 31 against Missouri. Uh, neither of those are all that impressive, but it was solid. Give it um, time. Huh? Give it time. Give it time. Well, I mean, we, we that's that's the thing. Like, the must-champ experience left a very – I gave that time, and I expected them to improve offensively for uh, the last two years, and it just didn't happen. Even with Bentley looking good sometimes, they're 113th in passing S&P Plus this year. Like, what's your – What's your ceiling? Even if, like, I mean, there's so many freshmen and sophomores this year, but what's the ceiling? Like, top 50, maybe? Yeah. Uh, which means you need, like, a top 10 offense to get into the top 30, or top 10 defense, I mean. So, I think uh, that's yeah. more possible with South Carolina. I think that is, I think that's maybe the identity. I think eventually, 50 and, I think eventually, 50 and they do 10 have, equals 30. Yeah, sure. Sounds good to me. Um, no, I think eventually he, he does become, 
he's always been an incredibly aggressive, sharp-minded defensive recruiter. Not yeah. only can he go out and land the guys, he finds the right guys. Um, so, no, I, that's why I have a little bit of faith. I just, at this point, it's not so much that I'm bullish on South Carolina as I am just indifferent to any outcome in that division. Um, hang on, we're, we're stuck in South Carolina. Let me jump, let me throw a good one at you, all right? Um, okay. Chris Jensen asked, what's the worst game plan you've ever seen? Yeah. That's a hard question. Um, so, 2004. <laughs> I got this one. No, I'm ready. A hard question for everyone but Bill. So, um, I, you know, I obviously think Gary Pinkle did one hell of a job in Missouri, but I, I remember there was a game in, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was 2004. So, Missouri was kind of flailing offensively. They had, it was that year, it was this year where, you know, Brad Smith was going into his junior season. He had already done a 2000, 1000 thing. Uh, you know, just incredible top to bottom, but it was time to turn him into an NFL quarterback. We've seen this many times. Um, and so in 2004, they got a little more quote unquote pro style, a little more straightforward, trying to make him a pocket passer, destroyed his instincts. Like he would be, uh, you could see him in the back. You could almost see him thinking in the, in the pocket, like, okay, here's where I normally flee, but no, 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 I have to stay here. I have to, I have to. And then, you know, bad things would happen. Um, and it just wasn't really working, but there was a game, I, I think it was 04. I'm almost positive it was 04 where like mid season, they're struggling offensively. They go to Nebraska. I think that's the year they like their plane almost got blown off of the tarmac because it was so windy. They tear off uh, Tony Temple's red shirt, uh, in that game, running back Tony Temple ended up setting a cotton bowl rushing record three years later. They tore off his red shirt because of injuries and whatnot, and they needed a boost. And then they went out and they threw like 50 times into with Brad Smith in a gusty wind, and it really seemed like that was the strategy. Like, we, we're going to tear off Tony Tibble's red shirt. We don't really trust him, though, so we're still going to just put this in Brad Smith's passing arm. Uh, let's see. I just pulled up the box score. He went 24 for 56 in that game with four sacks. Um, it, prob- it goes without saying, then, that Missouri lost 24 to 3. Um, that was the worst, like, I, I mean, I liked that staff. They ended up doing some incredible things in 05, 6, 7 and whatnot, but that was the one the, the, where clearly the intention was to have Brad Smith pass in 40 mile per hour wins. And I have no, to, like 12 years later, I'm still, it, it, it was such a stunning thing that I really still want to call up Gary Pinkle and say, what was the idea here? Because that just didn't make any damn sense. Can you hear me? Can you hear all this business in the background? Yeah, you went off and poured coffee while I was talking to you. Here's what I'm doing. I don't have an answer to this question, but I really like it. Here's what I do have. I got boxes right now, and in one of these boxes, I have three individual gallon-sized Ziploc bags. And in those Ziploc bags, I have every press credential that I've ever received, I think. So I think the qualification for this question is that he said game plan you've ever seen. Yeah. I would have to go through these bags and find the worst game I've covered. Now, it's what, this is hard, but I also would like to... I want to mobilize um, PAP and Army. I think this should be a Snapchat or something, because I've got to like pare down some of this crap. I think we should make Jason, our editor at College Football at SB Nation, I think we should make him let me, or tell him to let me use the Snapchat or something to go through... These awesome press credentials. Because how about I just pull one out randomly and see what we get? Okay. Because I've covered a lot of bad football, you know, most of my career. Okay, here you go. Here's what I've got. I need to make this up. This is a parking pass 
for the 2012 Advocare Independence Bowl. Brown lot. I parked in the brown lot. I don't even know what that game was. Was that ULM? 2012, you said? 2012 Advocare yeah. 100 Independence Bowl. Yeah, that would have been ULM Ohio. All right, hang on. Thank you. Yeah. 2013 Tennessee Spring Game. Oh, God. I know. I know. See, I think this should be some sort of game show segment or something. We just got to make... Um, we got to make Jason... Okay, here's a bad one. 2013, uh, Advocare, wow, a lot of Advocare, kickoff, the Texas kickoff, Oklahoma State, Mississippi State. I was embedded with Mississippi uh, State's defensive staff, but their offense played one of the worst games I've ever seen. Maybe yeah, that's that was it. bad. Maybe because was Mississippi State actually shut down a really good offensive game. Hang on. We'll do a couple more. This is great radio. Oh, it's fantastic. Well, I just have to fill the time. I mean, fill the gaps as I dig. A lot of parking passes. I feel like I should have thrown the parking passes away. Hey, Missouri and BYU last year. I wasn't even that at was that game. That was a bad game. I wasn't even at that game. But yeah, no, like, the, the game play, see, there are a lot of ways to have a bad game. But, like, usually I, I, I try to give coaches a lot of benefit of the doubt. And, and, you know, sometimes you just don't have any good options. So you yeah. craft together the least terrible option. Yeah. Um, but there, the, the, that that O four Missouri Nebraska game sticks out as one where it was like it seemed like a conscious decision to play to their biggest weakness, and I, I, I still, I'm, I'm, I, it blew my mind. All right, last one, two thousand eight Vanderbilt Florida. Um, I think any <laughs> I think any game plan involving a lesser talented team trying to blitz Tim Tebow that was pretty bad, right? Let's see, that game was forty two fourteen Florida. There you go. I won't, I promise. <laughs> one more, one more. We got questions. Oh, oh hey, last one. January first, two thousand sixteen, Rose Bowl. With my, I got a really fat face in this credential photo. A lot of holiday eating. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Iowa's game plan was to die quickly. Well, then it was very effective. Right, no, uh, well, I can't. I can't. There, there was. There has never been a bad game in the Rose Bowl. Even the bad games are still in the Rose Bowl. That's what I say. How would you? How, would you like a really nice transition? Because Ryan Dewey says. Um, or wait, I'm sorry, not Ryan Do. We'll, we'll get to you in a second, Ryan. I just read the wrong Twitter. Um, Sam Donnelly says, what's the worst bowl McCaffrey would have stayed for? Holiday Alamo? Can huh. we generalize a minimum viable bowl for a star? <laughs> um, let's get the hot take out of the way. I have no problem with these guys sitting, especially at running I, well, back. Well, I hate it because I don't get to see them again, but I understand. Yeah, I'm not mad. Right. Um, worst bowl? Um, hmm. What his agent would say, right? That's what we're kind of getting at. What would what would his agent say? His agent would say a New Year's Six or something a high high visibility. Right. Let's see. I bet Alamo. I bet he would. That that's the Pac-12 I'm gonna say second. No. I'm gonna say no. I I think Alamo has gotten enough has enough luster that that would have okay. been it. Holiday, no, probably not. Unless it was. I mean, unless it was just a really somehow it's a Big Ten team. Holiday, maybe you end up playing. Like, uh, you know, in a, in a given year, some sort of like noteworthy, like a Michigan or a Penn State or somebody that just kind of happens to be really good, but ends up in the holiday ball. Sure. Maybe not the Foster Farms, not the Sun Bowl, clearly not Las Vegas or Cactus. But I, I think Alamo, I think he'd have played in the Alamo Bowl. That's what I say. Why? I, 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 I didn't. Well, I don't what's the difference between why. the Alamo and not playing? Because well, it's just it's the second. I mean, it's it's uh, usually just think now about pretty good. Just, just in perception and and what and, and not not our 
Not the gratification we receive. I'm saying, what equity do you build in the Alamo Bowl? Oh, I mean, he doesn't have to build equity, but you end up playing a decent, like, top 15, top 20 caliber team. But no, uh, but but it is a question of equity because we're assuming, rightfully so, I think, that he's just, you know, his team is basically saying, hey, why don't we sit this one out? You know, why don't we... Well, I mean, well, he's, really he's nice. already built his equity is what I'm saying. It's not about yeah. equity because he's already built it. It's just a, the balance of wanting to play in a safer uniform one more time versus wanting to not get hurt. Um, and I say against like a top 15, 20 Oklahoma State team, he'd have played. If it was, maybe that's the line. Maybe if it's, if it's a ranked opponent to where you're in, it's, it becomes a sim- like one of the 10 or 12 most high uh, – whatever hyped or whatever bowls then maybe that's enough but uh the line is clearly at alamo bowl maybe holiday to me the line is at alamo maybe holiday under the right circumstances all right that's fine i guess um i'm totally fine with him sitting our friend cuse at cuse end zone says do you guys think the dino babers will be able to have sustained success at syracuse could they take a step forward in 2017 those are two very different questions right um, the first one I'll, I'll, I'll give to you in a second, but the second one, I want to really just quickly address something I found, uh, in playing with numbers because that's what I do in my sandbox during bowl season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking at SP S and P projections versus what ended up actually happening. I'll probably have a post up about that tomorrow, kind of comparing uh, preseason to, to what is almost postseason at least. Uh, one of the most interesting things I found, and it's, it's, it's dark enough that I'll have to look into it more and I might actually, um, I, I mean, I might actually change the way I do projections based on this to some degree, but um, first, second, and third year head coaches. First year head coach, on average, produced a ranking at about eight spots lower than projected. Second year head coaches produced a, an average ranking 12 spots higher than projected, and third year coaches were 10 spots higher than projected. And fourth okay. on was basically on average was basically dead on uh, in terms of what you know project on average projection versus reality, but those first three that was fascinating. I mean, the first year makes sense. Um, you know, they're just for every random overachievement, there's going to be two that just that you know it takes them more than a year to put the pieces together. We see that a lot, and most of the really big underachievers this year, from an S and P standpoint, uh, I think of the top twelve uh, biggest underachievers, six of them had first year head coaches. That makes sense. But uh, we always talk about, you know, things falling together in the second year or the um, I, I talked about the third year leap a lot this year because we had like, you know, Chris Creighton at Eastern Michigan and Wyoming and all these third year head coaches just out of the blue becoming pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to obviously see if this is a more than a one year trend, but I kind of think it is. And so basically for all the schools out there that are heading into year two or maybe year three, this is kind of. I'm not going to say if it doesn't happen now, it won't happen because Colorado just broke through in year four, but this is your best chance to piece things together. So um, starting there, I would say, yeah, this, there's a, actually probably a decent chance that they could take a step forward in 2017 simply because it's now year two and he knows what he faces and his players know have a better idea of what uh, is expected from them. And now he's got two signing classes or one and a half, I guess. Because uh, that, that first class is never a full class of yours by any means. But um, they already improved to 68th on offense this year uh, in, in, uh, in S&P+. Plus. They were uh, pretty good passing the ball, pretty efficient passing the ball. Couldn't run to save their lives. But, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, obviously Amba Edatawa was gone uh, after this year. But they've got a lot coming back. They've got whichever quarterback they choose is coming back. Um, so, yeah, I would say they have a chance to improve now. 
You you get to answer the what will he be able to have sustained success? Oh well, I was gonna say that for twenty seventeen, I want to say yes, and I want to agree with you. I just want to point out two things real fast. We've talked up the ACC revival to a point where we're entering the off season of year one of this revival, and the center doesn't hold you have to find losers and winners will have to emerge starting next year in terms of those hires um i think he's doing as far as i know as far as what i hear everything's fine right i think the system's going in the right direction i know they're making recruiting inroads in the northeast but uh 2017 non-conference schedule middle tennessee central michigan lsu and this is a, once again like this is I, I view the word success differently than everybody else. Uh, the the sane people view it as wins and losses. I just view it as you know can he can he produce a top forty level? And I think he can absolutely. And that's and that's what I was about to get to was yeah. Just because it's the last story I wrote, it sticks out in my head. Uh, Munkin at Army said, you know, we went four and eight my first year and two and ten my second year. We were a much better team than right. when we were two and ten than we were we were when we were four and eight. I think you may have a year like that for Syracuse. I think you may have a what's their record this year? I don't even look. Four and eight. They, they were actually somehow in that tough ass Atlantic division. They were the only team that didn't qualify for a bowl. Um, that's weird. But three teams managed to go six and six. I, I think you can see a four and eight, five and seven year in seventeen with a team that's actually much more competitive, that's deeper, that has a better knowledge and a wider. Um, array of things that they can do on offense just based on the installation timeline for the yeah. offense. Um, they don't have the ACC schedule up yet, but the home games are BC, Clemson, Wake, and Pitt. The road games are Florida State, Louisville, NC State, and Miami. Yeah. Um, you said deeper. That's actually a very important word because you look at their – I mean, this was kind of the classic didn't have enough to, to pull th- – didn't have enough to, to carry out the season kind of thing. Yeah. They beat they uh, beat Virginia Tech by two touchdowns. They went at Boston College. Last four games, they lose by 54, 15, 31, and 15. Um, to good teams, but they still – they had nothing in the tank uh, those last four weeks. And by the way, when you, when you use a phrase – we use a cliche like, oh, we ran out of gas – it just means that you didn't have enough healthy players. Right, yeah. So, so I think you yeah, may, yeah. again, you may have more of that and a team that loses. I think you have a team that loses by less and loses the same amount of games. And that's yeah. okay. Now, I know when people tweet at the end of, you know, around Thanksgiving and they're four and six or four and seven heading into the stretch or heading into the final stretch, then... His name will get thrown off. He's he's not getting it done. That's going to happen. But it just happened, you know, I did the South Florida thing on Willie Taggart. That's a great example. Same thing. Year two, same problem. Um, It's going to take time. Why ADs become unpopular is if they they have to hitch their wagon to these guys and really throw in. And That's why, I mean, year three and even year four in some circumstances. I think for a program like Syracuse, you, you have to look at year four like year three. Right. That is not sexy to talk about because that, that's a long time from now. I get that. Um, really quickly to knock out another question, uh, our friend at Hackasizlak, we'll say. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, I'd love to hear about Coastal Carolina's upcoming transition to FBS. A good move for them. Will they compete? Question mark. Um, real quick answer. I mean, we can go uh, – well, among other things, I'll be 
you know, they're going to lead off the preview series here in a couple months. Uh, and we can talk more then, but I'll just point out right now, they were 102nd. Since I have the link pulled up still, they were 102nd in, in um, stagger in this year. Um, that puts them ahead of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 13, 16, 19. Like probably 30. That, that would probably put them in the 90s in um, – in FBS and in the nineties in the Sun Belt, you're going bowling. So, um, that's, so yes, the, the answer is yes, they can absolutely compete in the Sun Belt with the way, uh, that our boy Moglia has built that program. Moglia, who is still there. Um, and so yes, in terms of grand visions down the line, I have no idea, but yes, they can absolutely compete in the Sun Belt. Are they going to be Boise? I don't know, but are they going to be consistent? I I do. I think that they're going to transition very well. And he was brought in with the understanding of what they were going to undertake. That's a big thing that people don't maybe put a lot of stock in is that when most transitions are agreed upon and announced, the staff in place was hired for a different culture in a different world. And, you know, a lot of times there's a, a I have two really good sources uh, that I talk to all the time in coaching, and they both have personal experience on being at schools that were either being called up or were fired shortly after the call-up happened because ADs and boosters and everybody else have a, a stigma attached to FCS coaches who, who become FBS coaches through transition. Now, if you're hired for, for this kind of like from scratch program that you see at like Georgia State and Charlotte and uh, Coastal Carolina, it's a little different. Larry Coker is a good example, right? Because they just went straight in with the two trial years at UTSA. I think it was two trial so. years. Um, he, they, they've been ready for this. They understand what's coming and they understand that it's going to be slow growth, but they're also recruiting with that in mind. They're doing facilities with that in mind. Um, it, as far as I know, they're, they're healthy enough economically to withstand the transition because a lot of that has to do with stuff that doesn't have anything to do with your football program. You know, you, when you, when you go to FBS like that and you join the Sun Belt, you've got to, you've got to find enough money, enough resources and enough staffers to handle compliance, to handle title nine, to make sure the other sports transition out. It's, it's a big thing. That's one of the reasons why app and Georgia Southern waited forever. And I think that's also, you know, because I tie everything to promotion and relegation, that's kind of why I like this idea is because there are, there are 38 steps to moving up a subdivision. Yeah. But if your football team's good right now, like run, run out the string, see how, how long you can make it. Like a, you know, like a Lester in, in, in British soccer, they're going to fall back, but they at least, you know, when, when you don't have a ceiling, you, you know, you can move up each level until you've kind of hit your peak and then you fall back, but you still had those awesome seasons. But anyway, I'll, I, that's, that's just me. Ryan Dewey, uh, Ryan Dewey asks, <laughs> this is good. Uh, this Matt Canada thing going to work? <laughs> yes, I, I do, Ryan. I think it's going to work. I think for LSU, you can watch the pit stuff, and that's awesome. He did a great job. Um, I think it's just going to be interesting to see LSU with an offensive coordinator who's allowed to be an offensive coordinator. Right. They have a, they have a cohesive quarter-to-quarter identity that you don't have the head coach coming in and changing things mid-game. You're going to have... I mean, just by default, a better game management system. I know people had some issues with the way Ogeron handled those last couple of minutes at Florida. I was on the sideline. It was um, maybe I should write about that. It's <laughs> and it's crazy different to witness a last minute drive from the sideline. It's yeah. weird. Um, it actually does engender a little sympathy. Um, not when you're less miles and you do it a hundred times. But anyway, 
Uh, yeah, I think it is going to work. I think it's going to take time. Um, they've got to figure out quarterback. That's a that's a big thing to figure out. But LSU's been trying to figure out a quarterback for like fifty years. So, yeah. So three years, by the way, he inherited. He he showed up at NC State in twenty thirteen. They had the ninetieth ranked offense the year he showed up. Uh, they were ninetieth his first year, forty third his second, thirtieth his third, and then at Pitt this year, obviously. Um, they required almost no time whatsoever figuring things out, which, I mean, inheriting James Conner is kind of nice, but um, they're fourth in offensive S&P Plus this year. That's not James Conner. That's Nathan Peterman being a top-20 quarterback. Um, Nathan Peterman. So, yeah, he can do things, and I think he's adaptable. He, he, he plays a – he can go a lot of different directions based on what he's got, and, I mean, Lord knows he might not have a quarterback. Else, uh, you might never, ever, ever in a million years have a quarterback. But um, he'll still figure out things to do with what he's got. And, and so, at the very least, they're not going to be worse. Um, and, yeah, he, he's made a, he made the coordinator hire he probably needed to make. And, honestly, I kind of like Canada more than I would have liked Lane Kiffin. That might have been – that might just be aesthetics because I was tired of Kiffin being a coordinator. I wanted to see him be a head coach again. But um, Well, you got what you wanted. Good luck with damn that. Straight. Damn straight. Um, uh, no, but, no, I, I, I like the hire. I need to um, I need to flesh out a thought with you that will probably turn into some off season content. I don't know I don't know why I do this, but I know I'm confident in what I'm about to say. Okay. I give Muschamp and Ogeron the benefit of the doubt on the second go round in the SEC. I never gave that benefit of the doubt to Houston Nutt, but I feel confident in doing that. Does that make sense? I, I I think now that he's made his 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 coordinator higher. Um, I know there's a kind of a, a story out there that he's he's kind of losing in the recruiting game, but they're still like fifth in the freaking recruiting ranking. So like, he he might not sign top recruiting classes, but in theory, if he's made two good coordinator hires, he only needs top ten recruiting classes um, to at least beat everybody but Alabama. And I understand that's that they, that's not good enough, but anyway, um, I, I I will give him faith because among other things, like I mean, what for whatever reason, I do seem to require penance of some sort, like a the the the, the quote unquote rehab stint where he went to all these different, you know, he ended up on the USC staff, he ended up on the LSU staff, he he was taking notes and reflecting and learning about what he had done wrong the first time, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Muschamp had one year where he made Auburn's defense worse and then went to uh, South Carolina, and that I. That, I think that's what irked me. Is like, how how do we know he's learned anything? He didn't even in the coordinator role prove that, that he had actually learned anything. So that was that's is what there still bugs me. Like, like, is there some sort of hidden? And this is a question I need to ask myself, and then start making phone calls. But the Muschamp Florida era is it? Is there some analog to like the Rich Rod disaster at Michigan, where he just didn't have a culture working with him? That's a very good question. Uh, maybe that would explain a lot. Um, I've never heard any. Well, we've never heard anything like Rich Rod at, at Michigan, really. Not but, that um, level. No, I mean I've heard some people are not happy, but no, not like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, all, lots of people are unhappy, but yeah, that that was a different kind of soap opera, but. Um, I mean, maybe that would explain a lot. I just, like I said, I, I think we all kind of create these little benchmarks and, and or these hurdles that you have to clear before you're ready for another job. And I just, Muschamp didn't clear any of mine. Um, and, you know, he got them to a bowl this year. They were projected to win five games. They won six. Uh, they could win seven or eight next year. So maybe everything's fine. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't trust it. All right. Um, uh, I just found a really good one, and I lost it. Oh, 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 uh, our friend Mike Martin, at msmartin0208. I love this question, and I don't know the answer. Uh, more likely to finish career at current job, Chris Peterson or Mike Leach? Wow, that's a really good question. My, my, my initial, my reflex answer is both, yeah. Right? I, 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 
I don't, I don't know what it would take to pull Mike Leach away. And Chris Peterson really does seem to be weird enough to want to stay in one job. Um, and, and I mean, hell, maybe he just, I mean, there, there's a lot to like about the Pacific Northwest, but yeah, I mean, I guess technically my answer would, if I had to choose, if both wasn't an option, I would say Leach, but I don't know what it would take to pull Peterson away at this point. And I mean, Leach could also still go crazy and get fired eventually, but, um, and then end up like taking the Hal Mummy route and ended up in an NAIA school. But man, yeah, I don't know. Both is my gut is my reflex answer there. I'm going to say Peterson now that I'm sitting here thinking about it. There's a volatility factor that Peterson does not have. They may be the best boring. They're the most boring, but good team in college football program wide. I'm not saying you're immune to problems or you won't kick players off for some issues. Like that's just natural human behavior. But I mean, yeah, I can see Leach like having some issue two years from now, you know, something with a, Eighty something with boosters, you know that yeah. feels a hell of a lot more likely than Peterson having any unforeseen circumstance. And I don't think Washington's going to be bad. And if Washington goes into the playoff and beats Alabama, and then loses the national championship, and then they go and they win eight to nine games for the next four years, he's still gonna be there. Oh yeah, like this is Washington's culture is is something. Hey, write that down, Bill. I want to write about Washington's culture in the off season. Okay. Okay. Um. I'm not actually writing that down. I know. You'd never do me any favors. Um, They're not good. I mean, that was – man, i got to stop talking about Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech or just get a room. Seriously. Um, It's a culture – but that's a culture agreement. That's a a, a contract, but like a real contract. That's a – we're going to do a decade plus with this guy, and we're all settled in because his resume is strong – we're not hiring a young 34-year-old wonder kid. Oh, actually, I think he was like 36 when he got hired. That's a bad example. Fuente had a head, he had head coaching success at a place where you it was nigh impossible to have head coaching success, right? Mm-hmm. He had come from a strong program in TCU before that. Peterson, I mean, Peterson's resume blows his out of the water, but what I'm saying is there are certain hires that are just different, and this was one of them. They're experiencing a ton of success at Washington right now, but they're going to be with this guy forever. I'm saying if they have a 2-10, and ten, if, they have a, if they have back-to-back losing seasons, I don't think he gets fired. Yeah, I mean, the fan base will start to turn. They are kind of a demanding fan base, but, um, well, I mean, who isn't, I guess. But They just um, beat Oregon for the first time in yeah. Milwaukee. No, I mean, the fan base would turn, but I think, uh, when you, I think he is stable and sturdy enough that an athletic director is not going to panic. That's for sure. Um, no. I, by I, the way, I just, Jason, let me look this up. I don't know if we're going to write about this or not, so I'll go ahead and spoiler it. Um, I, I, he was curious about, like, we hear a lot about Peterson as an underdog and how incredible mm-hmm. he is. Mm-hmm. So I looked up uh, using both oddsshark.com and my old Phil Steele magazines. Uh, going back to 06, the, he started his career at Boise State. He won three of his first four and four of his first six games as an underdog. Um, they were five in 06. They were five point underdogs at Utah, one by 33. They were a touchdown underdog against Oklahoma, which, by the way, that 
that's a completely different story. We, th- we think of Boise State, Oklahoma as one of the greatest upsets of all time. Like it was just this magnificent result out of nowhere. They were, a, they were a touchdown underdog. They only covered by eight points. But regardless, they did cover. They, they did win. So that's two. Mm-hmm. They lost to Hawaii the next year. In 08, they beat Oregon and lost to TCU by one. And in 09, they beat TCU. So they were four and two those first four years as an underdog. They were not an underdog in 2010. They were not an underdog in 2011. Uh, since then, uh, the, re- the uh, rest of his time at, Oregon, at Boise State, they went 0-4 as underdogs, lost to Michigan State, Washington, BYU, and Oregon State, all, uh, three of those four by double digits. Uh, and so far at Washington, he won his first two. He beat Stanford and Cal in 2014. Since then, he's 1-8 uh, as an underdog. Um, so for all of those games, he's, he's now 7-13, he's and 13, which is a decent underdog record. He's 11-10 and 10 against the spread. Uh, that's weird. Uh, that's not what I expected. The, his his reputation basically basically comes down to 2006 and beating Stanford in 2014. I so his his success comes from building a really good team and a really good program and winning a lot of games and not, not, being, and not having attention off. paid to him in the process and really avoiding the right. attention before and after. Yeah. Lord knows I'm still waiting for Washington's SID to, to get back to me about maybe talking to him uh, over the summer of 2016. I wouldn't hold your breath. No, probably not. <laughs> I wouldn't hold your breath. They, I mean, they avoid publicity aggressively. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that's – we may be talking about that Boise State-Oklahoma game in 10 more years. I know. And it was uh, – like, and I get – I mean, I, I understand the significance <laughs> of the moment. But it's just funny because they were a one-touchdown underdog because that OU team wasn't actually that great. No, I mean, I still remember that game well enough to know that it wasn't it wasn't this uh, David and Goliath thing we wanted it to be. But you have to understand too, this is not for our listening audience. If you're yeah. if you're a regular listener to this, what I'm about to say doesn't apply. It certainly doesn't apply to me and you. That game wasn't for us. Right. That first off, remember that game was on Fox. That game was broadcast nationally on a broad like a, like a, a terrestrial broadcast network where probably more people had seen Boise for the first time than had seen Boise for the second or third time. That game was, when you get into these bowls and the way that they used to be presented, it was very much aimed towards pro sports fans as Mm. as something to do in between the NFL playoff weekends or as the playoff race heated up. I think that was a, that was an isolated film and not an anthology series. (laughs) And I I think that's why the game carries, uh, not so much the Statue of Liberty, not so much the, proposal and all the other fun stuff we celebrate that i think that was just people's touch point for boise and i really i'm a damn hypocrite because i was just talking about how you know you hit these ceilings and you can't um you know if you were weren't uh, much of a program 50 years ago you can't be a success now i mean they obviously even when they were whooping georgia they still only got so much respect but they still they broke through as a truly powerful program for a few years and they're still hated kind of proved it. it could be done they they kind of proved it could be done I, I they might have made the cfp one of those years if it existed at the time i'm not completely sure about that actually which sucks but um but they are they they are proof that technically, with the right number of hires and the and the right level of ambition and support and all that, you can move uh, you can change your lot in life dramatically. Um, but they're still kind of the exception to the rule. You got I, I got a question pulled up if you if you're. I know I'm just trying. I mean I'm just sort of dwelling on this game now. I'm okay. scrolling through like old media coverage of it. We can. Uh... Yeah, Bill, take a note. Um, let's do a whole episode about 2006 Boise State, Oklahoma <laughs> in the offseason. All right, thank you. I'm, I'm writing that down. 
Okay. Um, our friend at Beckett99 asks, I know a comp sci major who's leaving college halfway through his third year to go work and make millions at Apple, but shouldn't he stay over winter break and one, write one more app for free for the university? I see what you did there. Um, at D-U-R-M Soccer Dude. Yeah. Um, what D-U-R-M Soccer Dude. Uh, what's okay. the next leap forward in offensive game planning? More spread or something weirder? Um, um, I think we're kind of waiting for that. Uh, because... Yeah. We don't know yet. I, the success rate, I will, I will say that um, overall success rate this year, something I, I've been moving my data, my uh, data over the last few weeks into a into SQL, which basically means I can query more than one year, hell of a lot easier than my horribly backwards way of doing it previously. But overall success rate went down this year a little bit from compared to last year. Um, uh, that and field position went down because I think we're all punting better than we used to. So basically like offense is getting a little harder and I think we're going to start seeing uh, a new strain of, of experimentation. Well, I mean, we always, it's always going on, but I think we might see something that could start a trend of sorts. I, you know, I, my natural assumption is, you know, this is like the going from wishbone to more of the pro style stuff where, you know, as defense got small, uh, strong, smaller and faster to account for the wishbone offenses got bigger and stronger. I mean, in That's theory, one, you could yeah. do the same thing. If I could interject, that would be the one thing that I've only, that I've just kind of more heard about anecdotally than seen on the field. Mm-hmm. Is that when you the four two five craze, um, people trying to especially people copying off of uh, TCU's paper, right. that people are now trying to find a way to get big bodied those those kids that are as like like offensive linemen size but still have like good hands and feet play basketball growing up, right? Putting them back in in bunch sets and tight ends and stuff, and then matching them against the smaller, basically the glorified safeties that they're bringing up. But that's just a single – I mean, that really comes down to single plays and can right. be addressed with formation. The right. bigger right. overall – bigger overall, like, pivot point is – I don't think – if it's happening right now, we can't see it yet. Right. We and, will soon. The thing is, too, like, high school players are playing spread now. And so it's not like we're going to go back to some rudimentary kind of big, uh, big, dumb, angry football, you know, instead of two on one advantages, it's seven on six advantages or whatever. Uh, we could to some degree, but it's still uh, like the, the trends are such that, the, you know, the high school game caters to more to spread than anything else. So I think we're going to the quote unquote, like the power kind of spread ish combinations that we see a lot more of. I think that's where we're headed. I just don't know what the, uh, but I think that's it. That's just, I think that's the mean yeah, or the median, I should say. I think that's just it right now. Is that there's so many teams that just off the top of my head, that's that's why Ole Miss hired Sam Houston State's offensive coordinator. Right. That's why West Virginia had a good year. That has been a way for teams that came off the the I guess the leap the leech branch of the mummy tree when they started running through the wider the wider stances, the, the wider splits and gaps, and, and instead of throwing all the time, that's been that's been stolen and grafted onto more power teams or more pro set teams. These, I guess all these classifications are starting to mean less and less. Right. One thing I think yeah. is holding true is that you're going to see, you're going to continue to see kids, in, or you're going to see the ball handler is going to be in shotgun, I think, for the next 10 years, as yeah. a predominantly, just because of high schools. Yeah. I think I, I always go back to center is still going to be the waning trend. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, and, and this does go back to some degree to what uh, Manny Diaz said a couple of years ago to me that I kind of really like. That he basically he talked about a lot of defense is, is first of all learning what the the standard quote unquote college football offense is, and he said he, because he said like ninety percent of the of teams run fifty percent of the same plays, mm-hmm. and um, that base right now is definitely shotgun, is more spread out, and is probably a little bit more power and run heavy than it was a couple of years ago. That, yeah. that would be uh, the best way to answer that question. I think running the ball out of spread has been the... All right, what's the term for this in, in math, Bill, when like you see part of a chart? It's just a, it's a loss of perspective. You know when you see part of a line graph that looks like it's like a massive climb up, but then you pull back and realize... Oh, right, yeah. Like I think that's what running out of spread has been for the last three or four years. Yeah. Um. I don't know. These are questions that we tend to get better or at least more recent answers on when we enter the spring. Right. Because yeah, well, this is also point, we should have Chris Brown to like sit on the phone for an hour and a half and like pick over dumb ideas like this with us. So. <laughs> oh, God. I just found the most depressing question I've ever seen on this show at Tailgate Eisman. What the hell does UConn have to do to get back to Edsel era success? Can they go beyond that? <laughs> uh, oh my god so Edsel era success is winning eight games um, and that's what it's come to at UConn right now is like how can we get back to the grand loft okay they did win nine one year my bad they did win nine one year uh, but how can we go back to the, 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 the lofty wonderful Edsel era of winning eight games in the Big East um, huh. I mean, right now the answer is obvious. You've got to figure out the damn offensive side of the ball. You've got to figure out some system you can recruit to where you are currently residing. And you have to make pick a good offensive coordinator and do a lot of the things that seem very, very obvious, but clearly are, are very hard because uh, despite his pedigree, despite his uh, beautiful eyes, Bob Diaco uh, has not been able to figure out the offensive side of the ball and the defense this year. Uh it wasn't terrible, but collapsed too to some degree. So um, yeah, they had the fifth worst offense in the country, and they've never been good. And it's been a long time since they were good. But Jordan Todman or whatever, like it's 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 tough. That's a very tough job, and he has not figured out the answers yet. We talk about bulls that are coming up. Did you watch Miami yesterday? For a while, I mean, I, I was not, watching it until suddenly that at all. Uh, well, I mean, it was 13-3. Tulsa, you know, kicked a couple field goals to let CMU stay close. And then suddenly, you know, eight plays, one minute, boom. Seven plays, one minute, boom. And it was 27-3 at halftime. Like, yeah, I, I think I'm about done with this one. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Uh, today, as we record this Tuesday at 6 p.m. in God's, uh, God's time zone, Memphis at Western Kentucky, again, uh, I feel like uh, that's another game where we feel like we got the backstop on, on good quality football. Yeah. Then Wednesday, tomorrow, we'll have BYU and uh, Wyoming. I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching that Powder River. By the way, Ooh, real fast, I want to pull up this Twitter shout out. You could fill this space. We haven't talked about BYU in a while. I don't want to. I was just observing. <laughs> don't feel like you need to. Jarrett Whitworth at wit thirty underscore thirty four. I'm bringing in a top five recruiting class to Wyoming and NCAA thirteen. I guess it's not a question, but I thought you should know. Damn right. Okay. Uh, so BYU and Wyoming. Um, I guess that, that is a question for another time. Not not top five, but like. How, if you're a Wyoming, how would you bring in the best recruiting class in the history of Wyoming? Bad algorithm in NCAA. Well, right. Yeah, the, the obvious answer is play NCAA or cheat your ass off. But, um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I guess. Um, 
Eight-win <laughs> Idaho is going to play in a bowl on Thursday night. That, that is happening. Um, yeah. So next year is the swan year. I think I may have said on the program before that this year is the swan year. It's, it's right. next year. One more. They have one more year in FBS. I'm going to an Idaho game next year because I like to waste my company's money. And then we're probably going to do a show Friday-ish, but Friday we have – we have a couple games on Friday. Yeah, Eastern Michigan, Old Dominion, Louisiana Tech, Navy, Ohio, and Troy. Um, I'm going to go with – I'd just rather watch Navy play. I'm just going to pick that one. Of those three games, that's the one I'll probably want to watch. I cannot believe you're going to turn your back on Eastern Michigan. Um, it's it no, Eastern Michigan. Old I have like relative. Like it's really hard. It's. Remember, I make the joke, but it, which is not a joke. It's not a joke. These games exist on these random weeknights during during this week and next week because you more than likely have relatives in town or you're home from college right. or whatever, and it fills the gap for conversation with like mixed company. But it's the inverse at noon. Like you're. Christmas shopping, you're traveling, you're on the road, whatever. Like, I'm just not, I'm not there for that. I, I know I should be. I know that in April we'll, you know, oh, we'll, you know, stab a homeless person for for a Mac game. But like, I guarantee, I don't know what I'm going to be doing this Friday at noon. But I, I mean, I doubt it's going to be Eastern Michigan and Old Dominion. Maybe I'm going to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be right in. I'm going to have my laptop open. I'm going to turn that game on and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. So yeah, the only of those three games, I mean, Ohio, Troy, Ohio is one of those teams. I, I think I said this about Appalachian State last week. And I ended up being wrong. That was a fun game. But they are a, a quality team that makes things not very fun to watch. Um, they're, they're just sound. They're not very interesting. That's kind yeah. of Ohio. Troy's Troy's very interesting. But uh, we'll see if they can uh, – if their identity pulls, uh, you know, pulls that game forward uh, as opposed to Ohio dragging it down a little bit. But EMU, if you're just looking for fun football, EDU, ODU, and Louisiana Tech Navy, both fantastic. Those, those will both be very fun. All right, here's the problem. We're going to do another show this week. We've already blown through all of our topical stuff, so we're going to, we're going to rely heavily on you guys to, to give us more conversation. I mean, we pretty much rode this entire episode with, with uh, questions. Yeah, we didn't even get to emails, by the way. Okay, well, we, can do e- we can do emails on Friday, and then um, we can do a box score on Friday. We can, do, uh, we can probably start talking about games that are of relevance outside of our listening community, you know, like with Power 5 teams. We could do that. That's what? a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah that's a thing. I could talk about, um, I still didn't tell my story about uh, being in the shower and screwing up breaking news. Um, we could do all that. No, you know, we have only gone an hour five here. So technically you could do more if you want, unless you just want to save yourself and we can, you know, yeah, two I, hours I, of podcasting in, in one week is enough. Yeah, I have to get on the phone. Sorry. I forgot to tell you that. This is how well this show is playing. Look, we're giving you two episodes this week. I forgot that I have a phone call. You can't complain about the quality. <laughs> yeah, I you never you never ask for quality. You asked for quantity, and that's what you're getting. And we um, just covered like 38 have... teams, to be honest. So yeah, seriously, I don't know who I'm, I don't know why I just took that tone. I'm arguing with no one. I don't think anyone's going to complain about this. If they are, they just fell ass backwards into the wrong podcast. Oh, Bill, one more question, just because it just came through. If you could add only one advanced stat to the standard ESPN box score, what would it be and why? Ha! That's a good I question. I think I've answered a question like that before. I think the one thing just that... Just one. Uh, I, well, technically, like, uh, average field position isn't an advanced stat, so I don't have to I count that one. I'm going to go there. 
But the one I, in terms of the like quote unquote advanced stat that like I use or created or somebody else created, whatever, it's success. It's it's always success gonna be rate. success rate. Yeah, that's what because I that's just I mean that's something that adds the one element that you don't necessarily get looking at all that stuff. So. Um, you know, we'll work on that. We'll work on, uh, I'll contact the people at, ah, who, who, what's the company name that, that runs the automated scorebook everybody uses. We'll, we'll throw that, uh, we'll, we'll work on getting that, uh, calculation thrown into those, uh, into that. So everybody can enjoy, everybody can bask in the glow of success rate. I think I, I think I might actually vote for, it's not an advanced app, but just, um, a box score that eliminates chunk time. Yeah. Like a little button you can flip. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Like a different, like a, a tab. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, we we'd all have to agree on a garbage time um, definition. What but, is your uh, yeah. real quick, just for the listenership? What is your definition of entering garbage time? Uh, I probably have to change it honestly because you know we we're going faster now than we were a few years ago, tempo wise. But um, it's if you're over twenty eight points. The, if the margin is over 28 in the first quarter, 24 in the second, 21 in the third, or 16, a.k.a. two possessions in the fourth, uh, I stopped counting that. The fourth th- the fourth quarter especially, uh, I probably need to bump that up a little bit, but uh, that's just a bunch of tinkering that I'll do this offseason. I do it every couple of years. Yeah. What do you think you're going to change it? Do you think you're going to go higher it won't be or much. lower? It really won't be much, but maybe like um, – well, I mean, maybe it's just like – well, the problem here is the data that we get isn't – it doesn't necessarily tell you, like, there were five minutes left in the in the fourth quarter. Because, I mean, fourth quarter is, a, is 15 minutes, and so I had to kind of generalize. If it's, like, 16 points uh, – or more than 16 points in the last five minutes, that's fine. Because uh, at that point, the offense is literally just trying to eat the clock. But, um, but yeah, 17-point deficit with 14.59 left is is not the end of the world. So it is tricky when I can't really do much with time, but maybe one day we'll, be, we'll figure out how to do more with time. We need to figure out the stats inside of junk time, and I'm not kidding, because there are a lot of coaches that value yards per carry in, like, closing time, we should say. Maybe that's right. a new stat. I just gave you new math. You're welcome. Okay. Not a, Give me more work. Not, not a damn thank you. Not nothing. Give so me more damn it. work to do. Doing your advanced math work for you, and you, you said nothing. I see how it is. Um, we're going to come back Friday. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but that's never stopped us before. Um, Bill, do you want to do this again? I mean, I can't wait to, to not have an agenda again. Ooh, let's do it during the, uh, during the game I said I wasn't going to watch. How about that? <laughs> Possibly. Are you free, or do you have something to write? Uh, well, I probably won't have much to write. You know, it's getting pretty late though. It's afternoon. I got to be getting ready for dinner and all that. In bed. Yeah. All right. We all right. We could have done it during a bowl game. I'm just saying we could we do might. a live audio commentary track on Eastern Michigan and Old Dominion. <laughs> and if you want to, if you want us to, you should at Bill because he's the one who's just completely pooping all over this right now. Yeah, he's the one who also has to edit the damn show. I'll throw that out there too. Well, it doesn't have to get up in any timely manner. It's the holiday, that's, that's, bro. That's true. Yeah, that's not timely content, so I can edit no. it out like Monday. Well, hey, hey, baby, Eastern Michigan Old Dominion live commentary. That'll play in March. That's just quality. You don't even need to worry about that. That'll go up April. Top top hit on the website. Absolutely. Hands, hell with basketball. I don't even know what basketball is. All right, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see Bill. I'll see you Friday. We'll see you guys Friday.